Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have on our very special episode of BGA. Hi, everyone. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And we are bringing you a very special episode of BGA, back from our childhood, and in particular, a very special episode from our Patreon account. So you may not know, but there is a whole feed of episodes on our Patreon account that you could take advantage of and listen to all the fun that we have to do when we're not on the official mic. So Anthony's put together two of our most explosive videos, which happens to be our very own board game collections, or at least the first parts of our big board game collections. So we wanted to give you a taste of what goes on on our Patreon account, and especially these special episodes. So Anthony's not going to be available this week. So again, we want to still be available for you each and every week. So Anthony, if they'd like to follow up and, and hear more about the rest of our collection and all the other special episodes on there, how do they go about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so what you're going to hear today is part bah, bah, bah. one of Chris's <laughs> Game Collection. Part one of my game collection. So you're going to hear. And so what this is, is we went through our entire game collections. Uh, Mine is actually a little bit on hiatus right now. So if you go in there, you'll see like the first 15, 20 episodes. And then I take a break because I'm moving. And I don't know what I'm keeping. But I'm going to come back. But overall, there's like 40 episodes of us going through our game collections. Like this is what I own. This is why I own it. This is where it came from. This is why I'm getting rid of it. Whatever. Uh, And so today, you're going to hear the first episode from each of us each of them is about 25 30 minutes long if you want to hear the rest of them and they are super interesting because there's nothing more fun as a collector of anything than going back through your collection and looking at things and thinking about them in the context of how you got them and when you got them and and 
to me, it was a blast. I, I didn't think it would be. I thought it'd be boring to record and boring for people to listen to, but people seem to love it. So that's why we kept doing them. And I had a blast recording it. So you can hear all of those on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash BGA, as well as 72 total other Patreon exclusive uh, posts. We've done recaps of our old episodes. We've done special topics on like designers and different types of games. Lots and lots of content on there. If you back at the $2 level or higher, you'll have access to some of that content. If you back at the $5 level or higher, you'll have access to all of that content. So if you want to hear all of our bonus episodes, if you're like caught up on the main feed and you want to hear all the other stuff, five bucks a month gets you in there. You can check out everything. You can set up an RSS feed from Patreon to your uh, podcast player of choice, and they'll all funnel in there for you to listen to. Um, we do have other backing levels as well. Like if you want to join us online to play a game, if you want to join us to do a review on the podcast or learn a game with us, we have a bunch of different things you can do. Check it out. But it's a fun way to learn more about us and also get some more content. Uh, because obviously, you know, if, if you run out of stuff to listen to, you want more and we have more. <laughs> All right. So join us now in our super highs and super lows when it comes to our very own board game collection. And again, we're Board Gamers Anonymous, so there's going to be super highs and super lows. <laughs> yeah. So with that said, uh, enjoy a very special episode of BGA. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris, and this is special episode number 19 Chris's Collection, Volume 1. We are so glad and so thankful for our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Well, we are finally back, or in this case, I am back. And obviously, 2020 has been difficult for so many of us out there. And we got hit by it a little bit, too. I am here in New York dealing with our own issues with COVID. Anthony obviously had a pretty bad bout of it for a while, including his family. And we wanted to bring you a brand new episode as soon as we can get back. Obviously, some technical issues as time has gone on and some other things that happened here and there. But we wanted to get back to board gaming. We want to get back to talk about all the great stuff that's happening. So I was trying to figure out, since this was going to be my episode, what could I bring you that would be unique and special and something, in fact, that I had not talked about on the podcast or any of the other special episodes up until this point. And then all I needed to do was look around a bit, and there it was, my collection. My collection of board games, I would say at this point, eight, nine years. I mean, as far as being like a hardcore hobby board gamer, I would say that's about correct. If we go back to as far as how long I've been into board gaming, it goes much, much further back. But let's talk about the recent purchases and what is currently making up my collection, how the collection came to be, some stories that go with some of the games that I purchased, some of the games I still have not played yet, you know, my shelf of shame, so to speak, and why those games still remain there. So with that said, let's talk a little bit about my games and my collection. So first off, let's get into broadly where this all started. So I was going to some meetup groups, it was some really geek-related stuff, and then eventually, over time, board gaming became a thing. Now, one of the first board games that actually hit the table was Munchkin. 
Now, I know a lot of people hate Munchkin, and we'll possibly talk about that much, much later, but that was one of the first hobby, quote-unquote, board games that hit the table, you know, around that time. Ascension and then some other games kind of played a role, but Munchkin was an old classic that had been around for quite some time, finally was getting it to the table, had seen it at Barnes & Noble forever, and now is actually playing the game, and I actually like the game a lot. So once I realized that there was a deeper world to hobby board gaming beyond, oh, this is a board game, that's a board game, that's a board game, oh, okay, there's just board games. No, no, there's a whole hobby out here, and you could dive pretty deep into it and learn and gain a lot of great, great games to the table. That was my start. Now, I think in particular, when the obsession, as far as Board Gamers Anonymous goes into play, was probably about eight years ago. Around this time, I think way back in 2012, my first ridiculously large purchase of a games came from Miniature Market. I'm actually looking at my tab right here, and yes, in fact, it was eight years ago. It was March 13, 2012, and I picked up eh, a little bit over, uh, let's say, eh, about $491.91 of board gaming. It was one of those situations where, and there's actual research on this, where you get into board gaming and you're like, oh, this is fun. I will purchase a game or two. And then you're like, oh, there is so much more. And then typically the second purchase is the largest purchase that board gamers tend to make. And then it normalizes from there on out. Kind of. But yes, it does normalize from there on out. Especially back then, about eight years ago, it was kind of the golden age of board gaming because there was so many separate companies out there and since board game mechanics weren't you know held to one particular company that you couldn't copyright a mechanic everyone was taking a shot at a particular mechanic with a different theme on it so you did see a dozen different deck builders so it wasn't surprising that with this glut of games that were out there that a lot of these games were on fairly good discount all the time, and especially at Black Friday and holiday season, where you could pick up a, a bunch of really great games. Not every game was great, but the vast majority of them were very, very good, and especially for the price, how could you refuse? Now, obviously, I made my purchases with Venture Market, with Cool Stuff Inc. I didn't know a lot about the other game stores at the time. In fact, I only found Cool Stuff Inc. and Venture Market because when I was searching games, I went to eBay thinking, these games are totally underground. I'm not going to find them anywhere else. And I found these two companies and then worked my way backwards to realize they actually had web stores, which I could purchase games from. Fast forward, I now have a collection. Now, how am I storing my collection? Not the best way possible. I guess at first, like everybody else, it was in a closet. Later on, I purchased these metal racks, which were light and, and portable, and you can kind of alter the sizes. So those were fantastic. Problem was that even with the best bottom kind of layout, they still did rub a bit on the metal or what was over the metal. And I was getting some wear and tear overall on the games themselves. So that was obviously a bigger issue going into all of this. Now, add to that the fact that now the market was starting to shrink and games were becoming more expensive. I needed to find a better solution. Obviously, I was moving around a lot between different jobs, different locations, different apartments. 
I finally settled on what everyone else, at least on the higher echelons of board game collecting, typically did, which was a Kalex. Now, there was a prior model to the Kalex as far as Ikea was concerned, but of course, holding out for so long, I eventually found something that I thought would be good, and the Kalex obviously was well known for being the best. They did have a sale right around Thanksgiving. I purchased a bunch of it. And I put it together all by myself, which Ikea does not recommend. And I'll be honest, I, I went a little overboard here. I, I purchased two 4x4s and then two 4x2s. And I put the two 4x2s on top, on top of the two 4x4s. Say that three times quick. On top of which, later on, I think the following year, I purchased another 4x4 and another 4x2. I just needed more storage, on top of which I do have two closets full of games and some overflow here and there, including a bunch of different mats and other stuff that goes along with it. So I want to give you an idea of my collection, why it's valuable to me, and the stories that go along with the games, why they were played, why they were loved, why they haven't been played yet, and why they kind of got pushed off, in some cases, some of the games to not just a shelf of shame, but a shelf of eventually getting rid of them somehow, some way. But I'll get into all that in a minute. So since I reorganized and reorganized my collection again and again, eventually it's more or less where I want it to be. And in particular, alphabetically seems to be the best way for me that my collection really plays out. Initially, I had it set up so like the games I really wanted to play were most available, closer to an open space, and the ones that I was like so-so on were kind of where there was other furniture play, so I couldn't get them so easily. But every once in a while, somebody would say, do you have this game? I'd really like to play it, and then just generally have no idea where that might be. So alphabetical seems to work best, although there is some issues as far as trying to know how much space you need for any particular letter, especially when you're trying to fit it into a wall of Kalex. Some letters, not so much. Some of the letters, a lot of games. So let's start off with one of those letters. And in particular, before we get into all of the alphabetical ones, let's talk about some of the numerical. So let's talk numerical games. First off, probably one of the easiest games for me to talk about. And if you know anything about my collection, you know anything about what I like, it's Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders was one of the first games that introduced two big, important mechanics to me. First off, card drafting. Card drafting was tremendous fun. Being able to get a hand of possibilities to build up your civilization. And then the second mechanic, to be able to build a tableau. You know, when you go play board games, you want to win. But as you play more and more hobby board games, you come to realize that winning, for one, it's not always possible because of reasons. And two, that just in general, sometimes there is more fun with creating something than it is winning something. So at the end of the game of Seven Wonders, when you had this civilization built up that was about something, it meant something. And in particular, Seven Wonders had fantastic artwork. It played a vast number of people from two to eight if you added the city's expansion to it. And it just really had a lot of great gaming to it. Now, these days, I never play without the expansions, and there are a lot. 
for Seven Wonders. Space game's still great. I play it online. But Seven Wonders plays great with leaders, which gives you an opportunity to kind of create an asymmetrical power, so to speak. I mean, they're just a couple of bonus cards. You don't have to play them. And then Cities came in and added a little extra dimension that was missing from Seven Wonders, which was while military on your side could affect your partners or your enemies, the left and right of you, it never affected anybody else. So Cities added these kind of tax cards, attack cards, that would hit everyone at the table. So that gave more interactive play for everyone there and gave you another reason to pick those cards out of deck before you got hit by them. Now, since then, since Cities and since Leaders came out, there's obviously been a number of promos. I got a couple of those. I'm still missing others. There were a lot, actually, at the time. There has been Babel. Babel has been its own little playset, so to speak, where you put these big tiles out in this Tower of Babel, and those tiles that were out there affect everybody else there on the board. In that set of Babel also comes in what they call Major Works. And you have these big, big cards, and everyone has an opportunity to put in resources into those major works. If it's completed, everyone gets a bonus. If it's not completed, and you are one of the people who did not add to the major works, you're going to get hit for that. Not a bad expansion, but it's definitely one of those situations where there was a lot more to the expansion than I guess people really could or wanted to get to the table right away. So it was a good expansion, but it just does not get the table time or the love that it honestly deserves. That being said, I do like the expansion a lot. I love that it's there. Armada, with all the ships and the islands came out, and everyone really jumped back on board. They loved Armada. I have not gotten it to the table enough to really give you an, a final answer if I love it or I hate it. I'm assuming I'm going to like it a lot, but once again... Seven Wonders has been around for so long, like I said, even way back when, when my initial purchase was, it just doesn't get enough table time. That being said, I purchased the insert for it, I purchased the really expensive coins for it, and those are good, but the insert does make the game super heavy, and that was from Broken Token, and their money makes the game heavy, and those are nice, heavy coins, and I remember saying to them, hey, is this going to be enough coinage? for me to play Seven Wonders with. And they assured me, yes, you have enough coins to play with any number at the table. No, that is not in fact the case. I used to keep around the, the cardboard coins with me, but I honestly hated doing that. So I eventually just got rid of a bit of the cardboard coins, and now I live with the small amount of metal coins that were actually very expensive to put into the game. I do believe at some point, possibly maybe, I think they discontinued the collection that I bought, I'd like to buy a second set or maybe even purchase a different set to kind of replace those. It's kind of a disappointment, but again, I love Seven Wonders, one of my favorite games of all time. Anytime anyone wants to play it, I'm definitely up for it. I'm definitely recommending the expansions. They make the game so much better. It's a wonderful Civilization game. Next up in the numerical category, 878 Vikings by Academy Games. Once again, I was not sure about this game. Like, Civilization games? I don't know. War games? Historical? Ugh. I don't, I, don't think I, I don't think I like that. I remember seeing this on Kickstarter, and I was, like, interested. But again, it just sounded like a really funny phone number. It didn't really make much sense to me. I really wasn't that, you know, invested in it. 
eventually I got a chance to play it. And it was this really interesting interactive board game slash war game, which was two different sides. One side was defending, one side was attacking, and they definitely had different goals as far as that was concerned. There is a deck crafting mechanic. You can bring your own deck, so to speak, into the game. And based upon how you play the cards, you're adding troops, you're moving troops, you're attacking, you're defending. There's a lot of swinginess and not in a bad way, but like they're coming in from the north. Now they're coming from the south. Like a lot of really wondrous strategic and tactical moments in this game. It is brilliant. It really is a brilliant game. And with all of its little modules, you can play this game almost forever. It's typically a two-player game, but you can play it as a three-player or four-player game. I've played it at all player counts, and I really like it at all player counts. I do think that at some point, <laughs> at some chance, I might pick up 1776, which is still in that same line from Academy Games. But if I only have 878 Vikings, I'm more than happy. I think it's the best version of that out there. All right, let's get into the A's. Arcana. Now, Arcana is an interesting story because it's one of those games that I really, really wanted to own. And I remember watching the game, and it was eventually on sale, and I picked it up at a really good price, and I got the game to the table, and I realized that it was just a ton of cards. And the cards were going to get a lot, a lot of play, and I was like, I need to sleeve this. Then I realized that sleeving the game would cost more than the game itself. And I was like, huh, yeah, all right, well, I will wrap this game up. And I'll put it back on the shelf, and at some point I will sleeve this game, and I will play this game. I have yet to sleeve this game, even though it's one of my earliest purchases, and I have yet to get this game to the table. Now, I've played other people's versions of this, but I haven't played my own copy of it. So, it remains one of those, you know, shelves of shame kind of situations, but... One day. One day I will sleeve, one day I will play, one day I will enjoy. So, ha. Huh. Another game that uh, is in a holding pattern, and this is a newer one. This is Arc Mage and its recent expansion. I picked this up in December and was very, very excited to get this to the table. So much so, I consumed the rules and I got a whole group ready to play. And then COVID happened. And those plans got canceled. And then we haven't been able to get to the table. So unfortunately, it sits on my shelf and it mocks me. It mocks me usually every other day. You know, it takes a day off in between. And I'm just disappointed because this is a high fantasy game. I would love to get to the table, but we are currently in a holding pattern. The first game that I'm going to play, maybe after Twilight Imperium, just to get everyone to the table, will definitely be Archmage. Next up is a weird one. This is Amon Ray by Ryan Knizia. Now, again, this was another game that I didn't think I would like, and you're going to get a lot of this. Like, a lot of Chris wasn't sure if he would like this theme, and Chris wasn't sure if he'd like these mechanics. Well, it's an auction game. I am not a fan of auctions. I don't like the idea of auctions. I don't like the experience of auctions. But it's an auction game that I sat down and played, and up until this point, I am undefeated at this game. I cannot explain to you why or how. Maybe one day I'll do a, you know, recording of all my, you know, tricks and tips. 
But nonetheless, somehow I own at this game. So much so that when this game does come out to the table, there's always someone who makes everyone else know that I'm going to win this game. Even though I I have a general idea of what I should be doing, but I can't <laughs> nail down exactly what I'm doing. It's a great auction game. It is a fantastic Egyptian-themed game. It's kind of abstract, right, Akinizia? But nonetheless, it's a good game to have in your collection. And if you're going to have an auction game, I would recommend this one very highly. Next up is, again, another interesting game. This is Alien Frontiers. Now, Alien Frontiers is an interesting one because this originally came out on Kickstarter back when Kickstarter wasn't known for its board games. And I liked it, but I already had Kingsburg. And Kingsburg was the original. Alien Frontiers came in and used the mechanics and, you know, there was no problem with it. Everything was referenced and such, but it was a little more fiddly and it was a little more uninspired. And even though I do love space a lot, I was like, yeah. So I passed on the Kickstarter because especially back then, who would think to pay $75 for a game? <laughs> now we all pay $75. So eventually, this game did come to my game store, which happened to be a, I guess, a subsidiary of Game Salute, who was, you know, producing the game at, at the time. Dan Yarrington owned the game store that I used to go to. And this was on sale. Not a massive sale, but a sale nonetheless. And I picked it up. I'm glad I did, because the expansions, they had these little small expansions, make the game radically better. I think it's a much, much better game with some of the expansions. I picked up one or two. I have not picked up all of them yet. I'm really bummed about that. Every once in a while, they go on sale for like a crazy cheap price, but I just keep missing them. They sell out rather quickly. So again, Alien Frontiers, super recommended there too as well, but with the expansions. I guess finally in that little cubicle, I want to talk about Agents. Now, Agents was another Kickstarter game. It was really interesting. It had this really radical kind of like punk artwork to it, very comic book. And it's just one of these games that was interesting. It was another Kickstarter game, and it was a pretty expensive game. It had a lot of different, you know, add-ons to it and expansions to it. And basically, what you were doing, you were playing cards, but your different agents, one side of the card, the top or the bottom, would be pointed towards you, and there's your benefit. And then the other side would get the other benefit. So it was, you know, it was a, it's a strategy game or a tactical game as far as how are you going to play your characters and when are you going to play your characters? Because you were also benefiting the other side as well. That being said, I've enjoyed playing it. I recently got an opportunity to pick up my copy at an auction. So it's not in the best, best conditions possible, but I'm committed to try to eventually pick up the other smaller expansions that made up the whole thing. And it was one of those games that kind of put me back in the mindset of like, look, you know you want all of it, right? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of want all of it. So you should just buy the whole Kickstarter next time. Yeah, I should buy all the Kickstarter next time. And that, you know, eventually got me into this completionist mindset where I didn't just want to own the base game. I wanted to own all the pieces to the game. And, you know, this is one of those games that I regret not owning all the pieces to. It's not a major game, but nonetheless, it's a big game. Next up is Airlines Europe. Airlines Europe is a Rio Grande game. You probably haven't played it because it's been out of print for some time. It was a ticket to ride wait. Not too surprising, Alan Moon out there. 
And basically, it was my first introduction into these route building with stocks. So now we talk a lot about 18XX games and how that's commonplace, but this was the first one that really introduced purchasing the stocks and not so much worrying about the board. Since then, I've played a ton of games that incorporate some sort of stocks or stock market in the game, but this was the first game that kind of gave me an introduction to it. People have tried to buy it from me, but it still has a pretty special place in my heart, so I keep a copy of it. Like it a lot. Abyss. Now, Abyss is one of my favorite games for a couple of reasons. Primarily because of the artwork, the theme, the artist in particular is one of my favorites of all time. But the gameplay had always been way too light. It was just, it was just too light. And sometimes it was just too lucky. But I love the game. I love just the aggressiveness of the artwork there and just the play style and everything that went into it, the tableau building. It's had several expansions. I believe I have at least one, if not two expansions. A new one just recently got released with not the same artist, which bums me out a bit. So I wasn't like ready to pull the trigger as far as that's concerned. But nonetheless, I still have my copy. I still enjoy having it. I hope one day to get it back out to the table. You know, that's abyss. Next up is the Azul Brothers. Now, I don't have the triplets. I only have the twins, which is the basic Azul, which I push back on. I was like, everyone owns a copy of this. I've played it. I enjoy it. It's an abstract. It's fine. Eventually it went on sale and I was like, yeah, I gotta own this. The new version came out. Uh, I guess it's the Glass of Sinetra. And that version was even better for me. That was the version I really liked. I liked the idea of really deciding where things go on a more complex level, flipping the tiles over, getting bonuses, going for different strategies. Super, super great. The tiles had this kind of like candy quality to it. I mean, obviously, they're supposed to be glass, but nonetheless, look like pieces of candy. Watch out, kids. So, love this version. I have played the new version, the third in the collection, but I only played one game of it, and I'm still not sure where I am with that. I'll probably pick that one up as well, but having played all three, the second one is still my favorite as far as they can go. Next up is Arboretum. I own an original copy of it. And again, I was offered real money for my original copy. And I turned down real money for my original copy because I did enjoy the game so much. And I was never into selling my games. In fact, I don't believe I've sold any of my games directly. I've given them away at charity auctions, but I've never sold a game like, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks for that. Okay, great. Never done that. Arboretum is all about building this wondrous little tableau of trees based on the numbers, based on the type of trees. Great, fun, beautiful artwork. The new version, not as good as the old version. Still good, but not as good as the, not as good as the original edition, so to speak. I love having this game in my collection. It doesn't get to the table enough. You're going to hear that a lot, unfortunately. But it still deserves to be part of my collection. Next up, Agricola. All creatures big and small. This was a two-player version of Agricola. And again, I like this version. I'm not killing animals, which I do not agree with. So, you know, I want to play a game that's fun and interesting, and, you know, it, it's got a good positive message to it, more or less. So, two players building little fences up for the animals. You know, the animals are having babies and such. You're scoring points. Everybody's happy. 
good little two-player game. You know, Agricola. All creatures, big and small. I guess I should jump into the next one, which is the big Agricola. Now, I've told stories about the big Agricola before, so I don't want to get into all the stories here. Agricola is one of the greatest games of all time. Uwe Rosenberg. The card drafting, which is fantastic. Almost infinite gameplay because there's so many different decks that get added to the set. That being said, you're going to get crushed at least the first time or so. Because there are cards in the deck that are better than others. There are combos in the deck that if you don't know the decks, you're going to run into a wall and someone else is just going to benefit off that. I tried to play the everyone gets 10 cards thing and then it's a random situation. It's all about farming way back when, when farming was the way in which you lived. So if you didn't farm properly, you couldn't feed your family, and that's very much a big part of the game. Yes, you're trying to score points, but not feeding your family was an accomplishment. One of my greatest accomplishments in board gaming was right down to the knife's edge and being able to feed my family and just feeling that sense of accomplishment and just being blown away. I mean, I was playing high fantasy games. I was playing sci-fi games. And here was this thing about planting wheat and harvesting wheat. And it was the most dramatic thing possible. I have the new version. I recommend the new version. There are corrections that make the new version better. But if you have the original version, don't fret. It's just as good. It's just a new version. It has a little tweaks here and there. I originally tried to purchase... The original version, many, many times, could not get my hands on it, got the new version, got the five-point and the six-player expansion, have now started to pick up the smaller decks that are added to the game. What I really want is I want the Agricola people, but I believe it's like $25, $30 per player color, which gives you like four or five figures and a couple of cards. So I haven't been able to pull the trigger on that yet. But if I ever do, you're going to hear about Agricola a lot because it's going to get to the table literally all the time because that's that's a big financial investment. A Feld game, my friends. I'm going to talk about a Feld game. So what's a Feld game that starts with the letter A? All right, I'll give you guys a second. Yes, it is Aquasphere. Now, Aquasphere was one of those really interesting games that I guess they overproduced or under-marketed because when it came out, it was like, oh, this is going to be a new game from Feld. It's colorful. Everything about Feld was hip. This game came out, and it kind of flopped at the market. I picked this game up on sale. actually purchased a game for a friend of mine. And I love this game. You know, it's all about working this aquasphere, building up your own bathosphere, built on this little tableau, running your scientists around, dealing with Occupy, and using your robots in this kind of programming mechanic. I know that sounds very strange and weird, but it's really a fantastic game. We've already reviewed it. And I highly recommend it getting to the table or picking up a copy because it's just, it's a fun game, but it's also a very thinky game. Finally, from the A-list, is At the Gates of Loyang. Now, everyone tends to have one of these arguments what the best Uwe Rosenberg game happens to be. Some people say Feast for Odin. I think they're wrong. Some people come back and they'll say, well, it's definitely Agricola. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that. And then, in fact, some people come back and they'll say, well, you know what it is? It's Lahav. And I'm like, that's also, you know, well warranted. One of my favorites, and maybe my favorite, of the Uwe Rosenberg games out there at the gates of Luang 
it's just phenomenal because you do have the card drafting of Agricola because you're picking up these special people to help out, but you also have this mechanic in which you are building up these special lots by planting vegetables, growing vegetables, harvesting vegetables, selling them to regular customers, temporary customers, and you're really interacting with other players because you're swapping stuff off each other's boards all the time. It does have this really odd mechanic about how two players play together, but they don't affect each other, but they play at the same time, and it's weird, and that's what really kind of throws me, but it has a fantastic solo player version to this, and I'm not a solo player, but if I was going to play solo, this would be the first game off my shelf, and typically that's why at the Gates of Loyang is probably my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game. All right, so that's it, at least for volume one. We went through all the A's, all the numbers, and a little background about my collection. Hopefully this episode was as fun for you as it was for me. We are going to go through all of the letters in the alphabet, let you know about some secrets, some gifts, some different things I got along the way, and especially what's in the hidden closets that don't go along with the alphabet. You're going to be really surprised at my collection. All right, so... Until next time, this is Chris, and we'll save you a seat at the table. just gonna go ahead and uh copy chris because he had a really cool idea and i like it so um i figured why not we could do dueling collection rundowns and and see what happens with that um we both have fairly large collections i think we'll be doing this for a long long time and it's not how i've organized my collection so i'm doing this out of board game geek and the collection that i've put in there which means I could have missed a few games. I don't know. I'm, I'm not super great at updating that thing. But uh, it also means that you're going to get all the games in my collection, not just the ones on my shelves. So all the junk in the basement and everything I haven't gotten rid of that isn't up for trade. Um, I didn't include the stuff that I'm actively trying to get rid of. I usually have a list of 30 or 40 games that are on the trade pile or for sale pile. And those guys have not moved recently for obvious reasons that it's difficult to sell or trade with people right now. But uh, I, I do have a fairly large collection as well. So um, I believe the first two episodes from my end are going to be A, and I think I get to B in episode three. So you know, I don't I have these like mapped out a little bit. Um, up through five, I'm still on C. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how many of these we can knock out. But Let's dive right in. Uh, first thing on the list for me is 1066 Tears to Many Mothers. So this was a Kickstarter, and I backed it based almost entirely on uh, 
my conversations with Jason over uh, Every Night is Game Night, and it's designed by Tristan Hall. And Tristan Hall's done uh, a few good games out there. Um, I think the one that captured my attention early on was Gloom of Killforth. He also did Shadows of Killforth. And then this was his second game, I believe. So this one's more of a historical game, and I have not played it yet. So fun, right? <laughs> You're going to hear that a lot. And I think it's it's kind of fun, though, not just to obviously I can give you, you know, my thoughts and quick review of games that I have played, but the ones I have not played. Why have I not played them? Um, in the case of this one, it came in right before conventions and had, uh, you know, solitaire only kind of thing. And I just was not in a solitaire mode at that time. I kind of go in and out of that mode. So it ended up in a pile that then ended up in a box that then ended up in the basement. I actually still am very interested in playing this, but I have not had a chance to yet. So that is 1066 Tears to Many Mothers. Uh, next on the list was 1775 Rebellion. This is one of my top 100 games. So I definitely have played this. It is um, from Academy Games, and it is the, I believe, either first or second game in their uh, series of war games that are based on um, early years of the United States. And they later kind of revamped that system and used it for um, the UK with 878 Vikings, which I actually like better than this. Um, we'll get to that later, though. <laughs> this game, though, it does a really fun job of kind of boiling down the war game basics of, you know, the American Continental Army versus the British. But it's not just those two factions. There's also the German Hessians, the French Army, the Native Americans, and all, you know, the, you can call on these individuals to help you out um, throughout the fights. Uh, the cube system is very clever. I always like that and kind of pulling those out and seeing who comes out on top. Um, the card driven combat. I love card-driven combat. Uh, take the dice out. I know. I'm sorry. And there are dice in this game. There's plenty of dice in the game. The cards are more like the events and the movements that you make. But I just, it's the reason I like Battle Wars so much. It's like, yeah, there's dice, but it's also primarily, you know, you're making your decisions based on a limited amount of information. So um, this is the, the Birth of America series has, I think, three or four games. This is my favorite of the bunch. 1775 Rebellion. Uh, the next four games <laughs> are all 18xx games because now we're at 18 on the list. And rather than go through each and every one of these, because I've only played two of them, um, just kind of run down them as a bunch. I I just got into 18xx games last year. Uh, friend of the show, Michael, I'm also a backer, might be listening. Who knows? He had a few 18xx games on his own shelf for a decent amount of time and they just kind of sat there and he kept saying he wanted to play them and he finally got us all together and we played 1846 as the first one um which ironically enough is made by tom layman of race for the galaxy fame which i thought was really interesting i never knew that and so i was instantly in love with that i love that game and it's not even a very good representation of like the 18xx formula that's more 1830, which we also played eventually. So I went out and got that one off of eBay because it's out of print right now. Uh, 1862 is up on GMT site with the P500. So I went ahead and back to that, which is a big, crazy 18xx game with like 20 somewhat companies. Um, have not played this at all yet, but very much want to. Uh, later down the line, I think I saw 1883 on sale uh, on a website. And this is like 
18 XX, but like with event cards. It's a little more board gamey. Um, I don't think it's touted as highly as the other games in the series uh, by the people who've played it, but I liked the look of it. And so I bought it. <laughs> I have not played it yet either. And then 18 Chesapeake, which it, for my money at least is the prettiest and best designed or best looking uh, of all the bunch um, from all the board games. Uh, this is from Scott Peterson. And this is another one that I have not played at the table yet because it just came in during our, our quarantine, but it is on 18xx.games and we're currently playing a couple of games of that. So very, very um, simple introductory system, but also very pretty to look at. So definitely one I wanted to own. So that is those guys. Um, next number on the list, because <laughs> there's apparently a lot of numbers, is 5211. Um, this is a uh, there's a release by Next Move Games, and it re-implements five colors, um, which is designed by Suyoshi Hashiguchi, and it's just a, it's a fairly simple um, set collection hand management game. You know, there's several different um, patterns and colors of cards in in the deck, and you're going to play those out, and then try to get the majority of individual colors based on your bid. So it's fun, it's quick, it's simple. Um, I honestly bought it because I really like the artwork. I think I've played the game maybe two or three times, uh, but I have left it out because I do like looking at it. I think it looks really nice. So that one's that. Seven Wonders. Uh, this one is actually a funny story because when I first played Seven Wonders, I didn't like it. In fact, I didn't like it like the first two or three plays. It was, I don't even remember anymore what I didn't like about it. It was just difficult to get into. It was... I think I didn't know what all the cards were in the decks, so it was hard to prepare for something. I didn't know how important things like military were, and obviously it changes based on who you're playing with. And I don't know, it just didn't sit right. Maybe I had a couple bad plays, whatever it was. I didn't like it. Um, it came around to it, though, uh, probably playing with Chris, for example, who loves it, and then getting some expansions in there. Um, the leaders in particular, I love, and the city's expansion, very good. So eventually I bought it. Now, my particular copy of the game, despite the fact that the box looks beat the heck, I think I got it on discount somewhere for being beat the heck. I don't think I've ever played it. So, But I do have an insert in there. I got some metal coins. I've got at least three of the expansions. Not all of them, but I got the two newest ones, Babel and Armada. And I just like to have it. You know, it's a game that's it's good to have, right? It plays up to seven really nicely. It's, it's good to have. So... I think it's funny I never played by copy, but I've obviously played Seven Wonders, I think, 20 or 30 times. So it is a popular game for me. I don't know that it's quite top 100, but it is a um, highly ranked. Uh, Seven Wonders Duel, however, is top 100 for me. This is probably in my top five two-player games of all time. And it would have been my number one small box two-player game, but then Watergate came out, which we'll get to in like 50 episodes. It's a W, but... That game I like better than this one um, for a few reasons, but this one's still fantastic. It's just such a clean, smooth, beautiful implementation of Seven Wonders. It takes like 15, 20 minutes, infinitely replayable, multiple ways to win. Ugh, so much good stuff. I do have the expansion in there. I don't actually like it that much personally. I know a lot of people do. I just, for whatever reason, I just don't think the game needed it. I thought it was very solid on its own. So I usually play without it, but it is in the box. Uh, Seventh Continent is another one I backed on Kickstarter, and I got it on the second Kickstarter, 
after all the hype because the first time around i was like eh, storytelling adventure game those aren't really for me even though i own a few which you'll hear about um so i i bought it i bought the expansion i have the box i put them all together it's like 1500 cards in there i still haven't played it <laughs> i've been meaning to all through this stupid pandemic i'm like this is a perfect game to get out and play and i just can't get myself to do it so it's still on the list i'll get to it eventually um i know a lot of you are going to say that's insane you need to play seventh continent but it just for whatever reason doesn't strike me as the my type of game even though i paid for it <laughs> but uh that's kind of what i do right 878 vikings i mentioned is um in that birth of well birth of america i think it's birth of europe now with this one but it is highly asymmetrical even more so than 1775 with uh the vikings just playing so so differently than any of the other factions in the other games this game is spectacular it's one of my favorite games one of my top big box two-player games of all time maybe right below war of the ring and star wars rebellion i'd put 878 vikings it's that good so this one is because of that because it's like a two-hour two-player game and because because I do like War of the Ring and Rebellion better, I don't get this one played very often. But um, I do know a few people who would like to play it. And, you know, once we're not all trying to avoid each other so much, um, it's going to happen <laughs> more often because this game is awesome. Abomination, the Heir of Frankenstein. Now, so, okay. So I bought this game at Gen Con last year. And let me tell you why I bought it because I had no interest in this whatsoever. I just didn't. It's not my kind of thing. It looked very gory. Um, the mechanics looked fine, but thematically just wasn't interested. And I had lined up at 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m. Uh, to get in to the hall um, on the first day of Gen Con last year in 2019 and to, to get Black Angel. That's the game I wanted. So I was going straight to the Asthma Day booth. I was in the perfect door and... I was there a long time. I met a lot of cool people. It was a lot of fun, actually. I'd, I'd never done it before because usually we get it in early as press, and they didn't do that last year. There was no early entry for press at all, so I just didn't bother. You know, I didn't have to get up at four. I got up at like six instead, <laughs> so and I went and got in the line with everybody else, which I'd not done before. So that was cool. And once I got to the Asthma Day booth, I was like, I got up three hours early. There really wasn't anything else in the hall that I wanted that badly. So I bought like everything I could think of from the Asmodee Day booth that was new. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to get Black Angel. Got it. Good. I'm going to get the God of War card game because why not? I like God of War. Let's get uh, this creepy looking abomination game. And there's a couple others. I can't remember exactly what they were, which is telling. You know, that's a terrible way to spend your money. but. I did end up with this game. I did actually run through it at one point, and I do kind of like the mechanics. It's pretty clever. But thematically, I just I don't know that I'll ever really enjoy like moving the little body parts around. So it's on the possibly to trade pile. Um, I was going to try to get it out at Halloween again this year if we're all playing in person again by then, and we'll see how it goes. Um, next up is Adrenaline. This one... I somehow have not played this yet. I've owned this for a while. I got it on sale for like 20 something bucks on Amazon. And I've heard rave reviews from multiple people I know whose opinions I respect. And I've been meaning to play it because it really seems like the kind of game I like. The expansion seems to add a lot of really cool stuff. 
and there's a solo mode that they've added that works with either the base or the, the expansion. Why am I not playing this game? I don't really know. So um, I do have Sanctum as well. I haven't gotten to that either. Maybe I'll play them back to back. It's kind of like a video game doubleheader. But I have a feeling I'm going to like this based on the rules, which I have read a couple times. Um, it, it just looks like a game right up my alley. And I'm, I'm hopeful that I can get this one to the table soon. Again, hope, I think it's one I wouldn't have trouble with, you know, once we're out of uh, pandemic. Uh, Adventureland. This is from Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer. It's Haba, but it's more of like a family, higher medium weight kind of Haba game. Um, and I have not played this one yet. It was actually uh, a game I was looking at to review after Gen Con last year and just didn't get a chance to get it at the table with the family. Um, but it's I've heard good things and I, I am interested in playing it. It's still on my pile of things to get to the table in the family pile. So um, hopefully soon. A GNC. This one is a new Carl Chudik game. And this was one of those things at Gen Con um, that I actually ended up getting in line for, I think right after Black Angel, actually, that they had posted on Board Game Geek at some point, hey, we're going to have some early prototype level quality um, copies of a GNC. I think they had 50 of them. And, you know, they're for sale. You had to buy them, but you needed to line up to get them, right? And if you bought one of these, it'd give you a token that you could redeem to get the final copy of the game if and or when they finally print that. Um, I don't know. I didn't look this up recently. I actually click on this now. And I think they were aiming for this year. Yeah, since they're aiming for this year, I don't know if it's going to happen or not with everything, but I do have a copy and kind of ran through it a little bit solo. Um, it is very Carl Chudik in terms of the multi-use cards. A little bit of a civilization type of game. There are a lot of cards in the deck, by the way. Um, I like it. I think it's pretty good. I haven't got a chance to play it with other people yet, which obviously is the true test of a game. That's why I haven't reviewed it or talked about it on the regular podcast. But I'll probably pick up the full version once it comes out. So um, I do like his games, especially the multi-use card games. Uh, Aeon's End. And then just for good measure, we'll throw an Aeon's End Legacy. Uh, kind of go together. Aeon's End came out... Oh, uh, I don't remember, 2016, 2017, somewhere in there. And the designer of the game used to live here in Pittsburgh. So he came into the local store that I would go into pretty frequently. I think I met him a couple of times, actually. And I know he did playtesting and a bunch of stuff with some of the people I know. So I'd heard a fair bit about this game in advance of it coming out. And when it did launch, the local store had all the stuff and was touting it pretty heavily. So I went ahead and picked up a copy along with a couple of the expansions and oh, love this game. <laughs> like, I think my initial review is a buy because it is just a fantastic take on this type of deck building game where there's almost no tracking. It's very easy to keep track of what you're doing. The bosses and everything feel really well balanced. The spell mechanic is just a super fun puzzle to play through. I have not played this game, though, probably since two months after it came out. Um, I loved it and i'm pretty sure i just moved on to my pile of review, review copies i i don't remember maybe it came out in the spring often games that come out in the spring i end up forgetting about because once we get into june july august it's on we usually have a pile of like 100 review copies to run through and you know the games i actually enjoy fall back on the list so this is unfortunately a game i have not played much of in the last few years um 
It did not stop me, however, from buying Aeons and Legacy because I was very excited to try it. And the Legacy format, this one has been opened but not started and still is on my shelf. And I do look forward to playing it at some point. This is another one up there with Seventh Continent where I'm like, this would be good to do during the pandemic. And I just haven't done it yet. So maybe in the future, maybe I'll get to it. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's there though. And I know like a friend locally just picked up both of these, I think. And maybe that's a good, you know, might be the path to where I actually get to play it. Um, next on the list is Agra. This is a big meaty game that I, again, I have not played yet, but I did get a demo. I did run through like a basic version of this at Gen Con back in 2016, I believe. And it's from Quinn Ed Games. They had it set up at their table. And we did a video actually um, interviewing one of the people with Quinn Ed Games and talking through how the mechanics work and everything. We had a little bit of a sound issue with that video, so we didn't end up posting it. But the game just looked so incredible, so interesting, so engaging. Um, at some point down the line, there was a relatively inexpensive copy uh, up on Amazon. So I picked it up and I've now pulled this out, set it up, run through the rules twice, maybe three times with the intent of playing it. I have brought it to game groups a couple of times uh, locally, but it has on BGG a 4.38 weight. Um, the rulebook is fairly dense. I've had to reread it a couple times and the game, I think it says two hours, but it seems like it'll take up to three. So it's definitely a game to plan for. And I've just not been able to do that yet. So it is very much on the list to get played as a big strategy game. And hopefully, hopefully sometime in the future, <laughs> I'll have that played and tell you guys about it. Um, Alhambra Designers Edition Mega Box. So this was on Kickstarter last year, year before. And um, Alhambra is one of my favorite, you know, gateway games. I picked this up immediately after playing it the first time i absolutely love it i love the tiling i love the puzzle of it it's very simple i uh, played it with my wife any game i can play with my wife i was just like yep on board and they ran a kickstarter where you could get the game all the expansions that have ever come out and then a whole bunch of additional expansions with stuff from people like stefan feld and all these designers who i love so i'm like well i have to get this right and i did and the box showed up and it is enormous it is like almost Gloomhaven sized. It's it's like one of their mega boxes, but even a little bit bigger. And so I can't carry it anywhere. <laughs> and it's really hard to pack up. So I've kind of come around to the point where the mega boxes always seem like a good deal because it's everything for the game, right? But they're so hard to move. They're so hard to pack. They're so hard to unpack that I really just never end up playing the games that are in them, even though I tend to like those games because that's why I got the mega box. So I'm in this weird in between state where I almost want to keep the original box for games, put the base components in there, put the mega box up on a shelf somewhere and then have that. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll create like a, some kind of box system or if anybody has an empty Alhambra box, they want to shoot my way. I'll take it <laughs> so I can actually do that. Um, but yeah, Alhambra is fantastic. If you ever get a chance to play it, it's really good. I have not obviously gone through all of the expansions and Queenies. There's like 40 of them at this point. So maybe someday I can tell you guys what I think about all those. Um, but everything I have played of this and I can't remember all the names, but there's like three or four I have. They're all great. So very, very good game. Um, and then the last one, because I'm going to go to 20 and even 20 this time uh, is Altiplano. So Altiplano is 
the uh, spiritual successor, and I would just call it a sequel to um, uh, to Orleans. It's designed by the same designer, Reiner Stockhausen, and it uses the same kind of mechanics with like the bag building. Uh, and I honestly thought I would love this game. I thought, oh man, it's like Orleans, but like this quirky theme, a little bit more strategy mixed in. It's not quite as light as that. And I'll be honest, Orleans is better. Um, part of it is there's a lot of expansion content for Orleans. You mix it up properly and it's really solid. Part of it, I don't, Altiplano just kind of dragged a little bit. It was a little long uh, towards the end. And the other part of it is, I think the two or three times I've played this game, at least one person at the table really didn't like it, which, as you all know, can kind of drag things down a little bit. Not because like, oh, you're being a drag, but because you don't want to, I'm bringing a game to the table and it's making other people unhappy and it makes me feel bad. So I don't want to bring the table, the game to the table anymore, right? I still own it though, because I do like it enough to own it. I have the expansion, which I don't think I've ever gotten a chance to play, to be honest. Um, I really, really like the aesthetic, like a lot. Like, it's just such a cool game to look at. And that goofy looking under bite of a llama on the cover. I just love it. I think I got a picture of me with a giant cardboard cutout of that llama from Origins that year, or maybe PAX. And it's just, it's one of my favorite things. So I am going to keep this game because I think it's, got a place yeah i think my rating is 7.7 so it's pretty solid whereas orleans a little bit higher and honestly even when i look at the two next to each other orleans or altiplano i kind of want to play altiplano even though i know i won't have as much fun with it and it's just a weird thing i don't know why that is uh orleans something about it just doesn't quite click in the fun that fun part of your brain that goes off when you're looking at the games on the shelf so for me it's it's staying on the shelf. I'm not getting rid of it anytime soon, um, but it's a solid game. I don't know. It's uh, it's hard when you're comparing it directly to something else. Um, I don't think anybody else needs to own both of these for sure. I think I'm a weird, unique situation. So don't do not do that. <laughs> They're very similar. So pick one. But yeah, that's Altiplano. And that there you have it, like the first 20 games in my collection. Um, I think this might have run a little bit shorter than Chris, but I think I had a fairly higher than average ratio of games in this pile that i haven't played yet um let's see i got one two three four five six seven eight yeah nine of these i haven't actually played so cheating a little bit but it's still fun to talk about where they came from and why i still have them um next time around i think there's only two or three i haven't played so it's a much better list um should be a lot more fun to talk about and yeah uh, next episode of this, you're going to hear Chris go through uh, the second part of his collection. So we're just going to alternate these back and forth. Um, I think he's done like five or six recordings already. So we're definitely going to be putting these out. And I think we're going to try to do it every week. So there's enough content and it's quick and easy for us to put these together. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any questions, or if you want to make any comments about any of these lovely games, please leave a comment on Patreon or Facebook or wherever, and I will certainly hop on. Um, Slack group, of course, is always still active. Yeah, thanks guys for backing. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Enjoy.